The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Have you been misled into thinking someone was a friend who turned out to be an enemy? There are lots of warnings in the Bible about false prophets, false apostles, and false teachers. And in the New Testament, we are specifically warned against false Christs, pseudo-messiahs. False prophets are dangerous wolves in a shepherd's wool cloak, masquerading as teachers and leaders. But what about those false associates all around us? The Bible describes them as bogus believers, deceptive terrors among the wheat. They may look like wheat, but they're weeds. How can we discern and protect ourselves from these false believers? Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Because of the presence of sin in this world, a church family will never be perfect in this lifetime. Because of our flawed selves, the church will always be a little bit of a dysfunctional family before we reach eternity. But by the grace of God, we can discipline ourselves to grow in love for one another and to grow in grace, wisdom, and discernment about who is a genuine believer and who is not. After all, we simply can't tell by their outward appearance. If we can discern what the Bible calls false brethren, Judases in our midst, we have to, as much as possible, then try to lead them to repentance. But if they refuse, we must love them from a distance and not enter into fellowship or be unequally yoked with them. Well, as one who's ministered overseas and around the world for decades, by the grace of God, I've had my share of experiences with false brethren. Psalm 55 is a messianic psalm foreshadowing the behavior of Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. It goes like this. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. And it's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together into the house of God, but my companion betrayed and broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. Underneath his oily words are daggers. Have you known someone like that? Well, this week, my pastor spoke on the messy subject of discipline in the church, and his text was the Lord's strategic plan for what to do when offenses come. And they will come because we're all fallen human beings on our way to sanctification. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, give us these instructions. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, first go privately and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. And I have to say, yes, an open and honest conversation will normally bring peace. 
But if that doesn't work, if they still refuse to listen to truth and reason, don't write off the person because Jesus then used an old practice of Jewish law. He said, next you should take one or two with you and go to the troublesome person so that by two or three witnesses, a matter can be established. Together, you should talk about the nature of the problem in a gentle and persuasive manner, and hopefully the person will be returned to the fold. But then if that doesn't work, then Jesus said to tell the problem to the church. And if the person still refuses to listen, even to the church, you must treat the professing brother or sister as you would a pagan or an outsider. Love them, but from a distance. In his message, the pastor pointed out, and this is very important, that such talk in the church is not gossip. It's part of the prescribed discipline that must be found in the body of Messiah. A body without discipline is dysfunctional. And so Jesus was teaching us to solve our problems with one another without becoming hateful and spiteful and without holding grudges and without going to the secular courts. Love demands that we seek peace in the body of Messiah. Love demands that we protect one another in the midst of conflict. Love demands that we care for the lost outside, but that we also love and care for those inside the church. When we love one another, it's a marvel that causes people outside to gasp and to wonder, saying, look how these Christians love one another. But if a person is a false believer, an interloper, an imposter, or one who doesn't realize he's not a true believer, if he's a Christian in name only, and if he won't humble himself to receive correction and the Lord's salvation, he's to be noted as such. Or if they're genuine believers, they may have become deceived, promoting some false or rebellious doctrines that must be corrected. Well, perhaps you've been stabbed in the back by someone claiming to be a believer, or has somebody made merchandise of you because you felt they were a genuine believer, but all along they had an ulterior motive just to use you? We're mandated by God to forgive them, and forgive we must do for the sake of our own peace of mind. But perhaps they were also not a real believer in the first place. Perhaps they're what the Bible calls tares amongst the wheat. In fact, Jesus taught us the parable of the weeds in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? And he replied, An enemy did this. So the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds, the tares? No, he answered wisely, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest. 
At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring the wheat into my barn. This parable of Jesus is very clear to those who have ears to hear. So it's heart-wrenching to discover that someone you've trusted is, in fact, a weed. If this has happened to you, I want you to take heart because even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, had his Judas. The traitor, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, posed as a disciple, but in reality he had his own hidden agenda, and it revolved around money. So watch out if there's a grasping for money or position, if what you give is never enough, if genuine gratitude is not expressed. Watch out. Many interlopers will join a church or a ministry with their own hidden agenda to make merchandise of you and people or to get an advantage of some sort. So now let's study the Apostle Paul in this matter of dealing with what the Bible calls false brethren. If you've been burned by bogus believers, take heart again because the Apostle Paul also had his share of encounters with false brethren. And he lists that as a particular peril in his catalog of dangers here in the New Testament. We sometimes think we've got it tough, but let's look at Paul's list of trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here Paul attempts to justify his ministry to the Corinthians with what theologians call some humble boasting. Due to his inordinate opposition and the criticism of him he had received from those claiming to be super apostles. The people unfortunately listened to Paul's critics and he attempted to defend himself with his own credentials of sufferings. And indeed, sufferings are some of the most genuine evidence that a person is a man or a woman of God. So, starting with verse 23, Paul says to the Corinthians, I've worked much harder than the so-called super apostles. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. And I've been exposed to potential death again and again. He said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That means 39 stripes per flogging. Or, I added that up, it's 195 stripes altogether when you count up Paul's individual floggings that he suffered. Then he went on to say, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And according to the record in the book of Acts, Paul was actually stoned to death, or so it seemed, because the people left him for dead. But he got up and continued his ministry. Three times, he said, I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea in danger of drowning. I've been more constantly on the move, he said, in journeyings often. I've been in danger from rivers from the threat of drowning in danger from bandits. You see how we need to pray for missionaries and those who go on assignments for God rather than criticizing or belittling or opposing them? 
Because let me tell you from very personal experience that getting visas and going places can often be high risk due to threatening people and dangerous circumstances. Much prayer and intercession is needed for those of us who travel with the gospel. And so Paul continues to list some of the issues that he had to contend with. He said, I've been in danger from my fellow Jews. And indeed, there were many zealots amongst his people who opposed him for preaching Jesus as Messiah. And some took oaths to violently kill him. He continued, I've also been in danger amongst the Gentiles. You see, when he preached in the Gentile nations, many times he was in danger of losing his life in those places. He said, I've been in danger in the city. For example, in Ephesus where he created a riot and in Philippi where he was thrown into prison. He said he was in danger of losing his life on his many missionary journeys in the wilderness country from wild beasts and from exposure to the elements, privation and so forth, and danger from drowning at sea. And watch this because I want to underscore it today. He said in this chapter, I've been in danger from false brethren, people who claim to be believers. I'll come back to this topic in a minute, but I want to continue Paul's catalog of exploits in suffering in verse 27, where he said that he's been in toil and hardships and often gone without sleep. He said, I've known hunger and thirst and I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, he said, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Now in my studies, I learned that the Greek word for false brethren is pseudadelphos. The first part of the word is pseudo and has the concept of something that's false, phony, fake, or bogus. The second part of the word, adelphos, is simply the word for a brother. So the two words together mean a false brother. Over in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, Paul mentions again the menace of false brethren. He described these bogus believers in verses 4 and 5. He said, false brethren unawares came in by stealth, undetected in a covert way to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus the Messiah, that they might bring us into bondage. But we did not give place of subjection to them, no, not for one hour, so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I love his spirit. He says he didn't submit to these pseudo-brethren for one hour, even though they were as slick and as cunning as possible. He said the false brethren will enslave us if we allow it with demands to keep the Jewish ceremonial law which, by the way, as the Apostle Peter also noted elsewhere in the New Testament, the Jewish people were never fully able to keep because the burden of what amounts to 613 laws. Well, why? Jesus explained that when we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and when we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we have, in effect, 
fulfilled all the requirements of the law and the prophets. Love enables us to do that. One of Jesus' greatest disciples, the Apostle John, comprehended this law of love. And that's why John was called the Apostle of Love. Toward the end of John's life, according to one commentary, he was too old and frail to stand and preach for a long time. So week after week, he was carried into the congregation on a stretcher. And he sat up on one elbow long enough to preach a one-word sermon. He said, little children, love one another. Well, someone asked John why week after week he preached the same one-sentence sermon. Little children, love one another. And he answered, it is the Lord's command. And when it's done, it is enough. But it's impossible for false brethren to walk in the law of love because their spirits have never been regenerated. They've never been born again. They may have a form, a pretense of godliness, but no genuine fruit, only fake fruit. In the epistle of 1 Timothy, Paul urged his protege Timothy to oppose false teachers and to command certain people not to teach false doctrines and controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work of faith. Paul said, our goal is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some, he said, have departed from the faith and have turned to meaningless fables. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And he said, some have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them, he noted, and he named and shamed them, were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom he'd handed over to Satan to learn not to blaspheme. What did Paul mean by that? Paul had the apostolic authority to give Satan permission to buffet these pretenders in the hopes that they might repent and submit their lives to the Lord. Bible scholars say this Alexander, whom Paul handed over to Satan, is perhaps the same Alexander at Ephesus who was excommunicated and who was venting personal malice against Paul. It's been suggested that this Alexander, an influential resident of Ephesus, had done much injury to the cause of the church generally and to Paul personally with the imperial authorities at Rome, accusing Paul of starting a new religion in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Alexander is mentioned again by Paul. And in verse 14, he wrote, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Commentaries say most likely this was the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as the one who was delivered to Satan. Paul said, the Lord will reward him according to his works. That's a statement of wisdom when dealing with false brethren. We certainly mustn't render evil for evil, but we must know that the Lord will repay them, not us. For as the scriptures teach, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. 
However, Jesus taught that our mindset must be his mindset, and that is to bless and not curse those who persecute us. In blessing them, we convict them and heap, as it were, coals of fire upon their heads. It's very sad to observe that there's much danger from false brethren within the churches, and these individuals are sometimes more dangerous and insidious than the avowed obvious enemies to the gospel outside the churches. But all in all, if the Lord stands by us, and he will, he'll strengthen us in all difficulties and dangers. You see, tragically, a man of God or a woman of God can spend many years carefully preparing, laying the foundations of a solid ministry, teaching, showing mercy and compassion, giving generously, pouring oneself out to the people, and each one of us becomes an open book. And yet a false brethren, a Judas, a Jezebel, will somehow whisper or will tell lies about a man or woman of God. And people, unfortunately, are too prone to listen. And then they'll not look upon that man or woman of God in the same way as before because of the poison that the whisperer has spread. And like Paul, you might try somewhat clumsily to defend yourself when, of course, we should always stand still and let the Lord fight our battles and vindicate our reputations. But nevertheless, I'm thankful that Paul wrote out a defense for himself against the super apostles and false brethren because he gave us his edifying Reader's Digest version of some of his major sufferings. False brethren aren't anything new. It's the same age-old battle. And our Lord said, the servant is not going to be above the master. He said, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Because if the head of the household is called Beelzebub, a name for Satan, how much more the members of his household? Well, I suppose it's inevitable in this fallen world that all true ministers of the gospel will experience what Paul described as perils among false brethren. What's more painful than a Judas? They pretend to be loyal, but they make merchandise of you. And they're shockingly perverse when they rise up against you, seemingly so out of character. But what's really happening is that God is allowing their true character to be exposed. It can't be concealed forever, no matter how hard they try to masquerade. The King James Version puts verse 26 of 2 Corinthians 11 like this. Paul said, I've been in perils among false brethren. I looked up that word peril. It's very descriptive indeed. And I counted up eight times in this chapter where Paul describes his sufferings. A dictionary definition of peril is exposure to injury, loss, or destruction. It means grave risk, jeopardy, and of course danger. The false brethren worm their way into the churches, into prayer meetings, and even into gospel outreaches to try to control. Sometimes they're even organizers of the gospel campaigns. I'll never forget what one seasoned missionary told me years ago and how true were his words. 
He said, sometimes we suffer unscrupulous middlemen in order to get to the dying people with the life-giving message of the gospel. Perhaps the false brethren have even been baptized by water, but they've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the true church. Sadly, many born-again believers are befriended in churches by false brethren, and this brings these believers into grave danger because they've often been used, abused, deceived, and then wounded. So how do we get healed and how do we discern between the true and false believers? Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. That's wisdom. Check the fruit, shake the tree. Ideally, the Lord will shake the tree when you pray. A good tree will cast off good fruit. A fake tree will cast off false, rotten, disappointing fruit. You must examine the fruit of a person's life when the Lord allows them to be shaken and exposed. Even though a false brother attempts to camouflage himself, the fruit of his or her walk and talk will unmistakably identify who he or she really is. We can be sadly disappointed in individuals in the ministry, but we can't allow them to stop us or discourage us. If a person is proven to be false, we forgive and we train ourselves to move on, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We declare this by faith in Jesus' name. So when we allow the Lord to lead us in our friendships and ministry associations, we'll discover that our discernment will grow and become more accurate as we listen to the Lord and look for the correct character signs. If you've been disappointed and hurt by false brethren, ask the Lord to heal you and say to him and to yourself that you're going to put the episode in the past and move on. Make a conscious decision to forgive that person who has deceived and wounded you so you're free to move forward into God's next chapter of your life. Ask the Lord to grant you a greater measure of the Holy Spirit's gift of the discerning of spirits to be able to discern a person's true spirit, whether it's good or bad, genuine or deceptive, born again or not born again. Ask the Lord to help you to be more circumspect and careful about who you allow into your life. I pray this in Jesus' name. You see, the Lord has cautioned me on a number of occasions not to become a confidant of certain individuals. That's because he knows something that I didn't about those persons. And as you forgive those who have despitefully used you, you will begin to recognize and appreciate genuine brothers and sisters and detect those who have undeclared ulterior motives before you commit your heart to certain people. Amen. Well, I hope today's program has been helpful because we all struggle with many perplexing issues in a fallen world. And we watchers on the walls of Jerusalem can stay in touch through social media and through our website at exploits.tv. In fact, I'd like to invite you to click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And at our website, this video is available to be viewed again, along with all of our other programs. And we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app 
to watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. The app also offers daily Bible readings and details of our upcoming events. And so, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Maranatha. Shalom. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.